So for the last few weeks as a church family, we have been, if you're tuning in online, the people here in the room are really good at this chattering thing. It's, a, it's awesome. It's awesome. <laughs> for the last couple of weeks as a church family, we have been studying, discussing the one thing that Jesus' disciples said, hey, would you teach us how to do that? Because when you do it, man, it's really, really cool. And you know, oddly, it wasn't how to heal sick people or how to cast out demons. And as a father of four, after a long period of quarantine, like, Jesus, please teach me how to do either one of those things. That'd be really cool to know, right? But it wasn't that. And it wasn't how to walk on water or how to take a single loaf of bread and to feed a large crowd of people. They watched him do amazing things. But of all the things they said, hey, teach us how to do this. It was teach us how to pray. Now, have you ever heard, I've said this, have you ever heard someone say, well, prayer is just a conversation with God, right? And that implies how hard can it be? But if you've ever tried to pray, is it as easy as it should be? I mean, have you ever found yourself like, how do I log in again? And what's my password? Is there a password? And how do I know that he can hear me? Am, am I saying it right? Or, or maybe some of you are like me. Have you ever found that prayer is actually a really good remedy if you can't sleep? Because the moment you start to pray, what happens? You begin to nod off, right? There's something about prayer that makes it harder than it should be. And thankfully for us, thankfully for Jesus's disciples, he said, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll teach you how to do that. And so we've been studying this familiar prayer called the Lord's Prayer, but recently I heard somebody refer to it as the disciples' prayer because it's the prayer that Jesus gave to his disciples. And it's found in Matthew chapter six and in Luke chapter 11. And so if you have a Bible, I wanna encourage you to go ahead and turn to Matthew six because that's where we're gonna be hanging out today. And every week we've been breaking this familiar prayer down phrase by phrase. What did Jesus mean when he said? And so he says, well, when you begin, you start by addressing God as your heavenly father because he is not far and distant. He's close and he's near. And so you can call him your father and you worship him. You praise him with your words. And then you say, hey, heavenly father, would you bring your perfect will and let it, have, let it be done in, in the mess of my life right now? Like I need it right now. Can you provide that please? And then you can say, give us this day the bread that we need. We can ask him for the things that we need, big things, small things, the things that make us, that, that scare us, that make us anxious. We can ask him for all those things. And then last week we talked about this really difficult part of the prayer. Heavenly Father, will you teach me to forgive other people the way that you have forgiven me? And today we're gonna look at another difficult passage in this, in this prayer. It's found in Matthew chapter 6, verse 13. And before we put it up, I just want you to think about this. It's something that we're tempted with every day, but we just don't like to think about it. it address, we, we, have, we, we find this happening every day in our life, but we don't know what to do about it. Jesus says, well, here's how you pray about it. He says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, if you're like me, you probably grew up memorizing this prayer. You know these words, they're familiar to you. But when you look at them all by themselves, when you're not running past them, don't they seem kind of dark and ominous? I mean, what is Jesus, what's he talking about here? And why does he want us to pray this way? Well, as you might've guessed, there's a lot of history. There's a lot of meaning packed into these words. And what we're gonna see today is Jesus wants us to learn how to pray this because he's got our best interest in mind. He wants what's best for us. And apparently that includes praying these words to our heavenly father. But before we jump into them, I wanna take a moment. We're gonna ask our heavenly father for guidance to make these familiar words, to bring them to life today, to teach us what they mean. So that we not only learn them, but we learn how to apply them. We learn how to live them out every day. So would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, we thank you for these words. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. 
we worship your powerful name. Would you let your kingdom come and your will be done in our earth, uh, in our life right now, just like it is in heaven? Would you give us, would you provide for us what we need today? Would you give us eyes to see how you provide for our daily bread? And would you help us to forgive other people the way that you have forgiven us? And would you lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one? Holy Spirit, would you teach us what these words mean? Would you take the familiarity of these words and would you bring them to life in a brand new way? Or maybe they're new to someone. Would you help them to learn what they mean, but help us to apply them? Help us to pray this prayer. Let it take on a brand new meaning in our life. Jesus, we love you. We praise you. And it's in your name that we pray. So what's Jesus getting at here? Now, it's interesting, right off the bat, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, Jesus says you address God as your heavenly father when you pray to him. But here, it's kind of like, and hey, father, would you lead us not into temptation? So is God the one that leads us into temptation? Is that something he would do? Doesn't that seem out of character for him? Well, thankfully, Jesus's younger brother, James, answers that question for us. In James 1.13, he says this, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. So we can get that one out of the way. God isn't trying to trip us up or trick us. He's not trying to make us fall. But in order to understand what this means, it's probably helpful for us to define two words, temptation and test. And author Michael Williams describes these two words this way. He says, a temptation is an enticement to get a person to go contrary to the will of God, while a test tries to get a person to prove oneself faithful to God with the good intention that that person will pass the test. So temptations are negative and tests are positive. Temptations are intended to lead us away from what God wants, while a test is an opportunity for us to live out our faithfulness to God and be strengthened in our faith. So think of it like this. It's hunting season. And what do hunters do? They dress up in camouflage so they can hide in the woods and they're gonna use a variety of uh, instruments to imitate and to mimic the sound of animals, whether it's a turkey or a deer, to lure them in with a cheap counterfeit so they can get a good shot. I mean, it's the whole purpose of the hunt is to trick them into coming in. And here's a a hunter said said this to me after first service. An animal never feels most safe as when they're coming in to reply to that call. And so that's a temptation. The hunter wants to draw the animal in to kill it. But a test, on the other hand, isn't meant to kill you or to harm you or even for you to fail. A test is meant to help you to, to test your ability to be able to do something. So when you go to take your driver's test, even though it seems like the people at the DMV aren't for you and they want you to fail, it is not the case. They just wanna know that you know how to drive a car and you're not gonna hurt anybody. So you can understand the difference between a test and a temptation, right? But just in case you're not a hunter, let me explain it to you like this. Our neighbor brought over the biggest pumpkin pie I've ever seen. I think it's one from Costco. It's like this big. And I'm the only person in my family that eats pumpkin pie. And so every time I open the refrigerator, it says, Jerry, help me. You're the only one that loves me. And so far I've eaten a quarter of it. I'm giving in to the temptation. I cannot stand up to the test. So you understand the difference between a test and a temptation, right? And all throughout scripture, we learn that God allows tests to strengthen our faith. 
He allows us to be tested. And at the same time, Satan wants to come and to tempt us away from what God wants us to do. This theme is found all throughout scripture. And you find it first in the book of Genesis. In Genesis 1 and 2, we learn that God created everything in existence and then he did something amazing. He created a being that is more like him than anything else that exists. In his image and likeness, he created man and woman. And he empowered them to rule over creation in his place. And then he said, I want you to know what it looks like to walk in obedience to me. If you obey me, you will get to live. Our relationship will be perfect. But if you disobey me, I want you to know you will die. Now, God was not threatening their life. He wasn't threatening to kill them. He wants them to know the, the, the natural order of things is that if you live in obedience, then you and I can live in eternity in a, in a perfect relationship. But the moment you sin and disobey me, our relationship's broken and eventually you will die. And just in case you don't know the story, the enemy of God, Satan, comes into the garden and he begins to tempt Adam and Eve to see if they will trust God or if they're going to listen to him. And you know how he did it. He doubted God's word, for starters. And he said, did God really say that you can't eat from the tree? I heard there was a meeting. I wasn't invited. I didn't get the memo. So did God say, that's the one right there. You can't, not that one, right? And then he doubted God's judgment. He's not going to kill you. Are you kidding? What kind of God would kill you? I mean, that'd be terrible. So he doubts God's word. He doubts God's judgment. And they took the bait. And they willingly traded the wisdom of God for the logic of Satan. And you know what happened? Sin entered into the world. And death was a thing. And it didn't need to be that way. Now, what does that story have to do with this familiar prayer, lead us not into temptation? but deliver us from the evil one. Well, <laughs> all the elements are in that story. Remember, we said a test is an opportunity to solidify our faith in God's will. So God created them. He empowered them. He told them what the expectations were. And he says, he warned them, if, if you don't live up to the standards, you will die. And at the same time, Satan was there to try to tempt them, to try to draw them away. And all they had to say was, no thanks. He has told us what is good, what is right. We're going to obey him. But instead, you know what they did? They said, hmm, that sounds intriguing. Tell me more. I hadn't really ever thought of it that way. It happens with Adam and Eve. It happens all throughout scripture. It's a familiar pattern. I guarantee you it's happened in your life. It's happened in mine. But we're going to look at another example today, and it's the example that Jesus has given us. But before we get to Jesus' example, I want you to think about this. Aren't you, aren't you, don't you just kind of want to blame God for that? Like, God, why, why would you allow evil to be a thing? Why would you allow Satan to show up? And I get it. But as I was studying this passage this week, I had to think of this. This helps me understand God's character as our heavenly father. Did God tempt them? He did not. He created them. He empowered them. He told them what he expected. He gave them the ability to choose. Like any good father. That's, what a, that's how our relationship works. So we have this example in Jesus's life where this pattern repeats again. In Matthew chapter three, actually in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we learned that Jesus, when he was 30 years old, he was baptized. This is a huge spiritual event in a person's life when they wanna live in obedience to God. So Jesus is baptized when he's 30 years old. And I want you to pay attention to what happens. All the gospel writers record the next thing that happened. We're gonna look at Matthew's account, but this is what it says, Matthew 4.1. It says that Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. 
So just like in the Garden of Eden, the evil one was waiting, just like he did for Adam and Eve, waiting to see if he could tempt Jesus to abuse this power that his father had given him. Now we learn that this took place over a period of 40 days. Jesus was fasting. He wasn't eating, he was praying. He was exposed to the elements. There's no doubt he was tired, he was hungry, but you could also argue he was spiritually as strong as he had ever been. And somehow he managed to not give in to the temptation. Now we say somehow, but actually the verse tells us, says this, then Jesus was led by the spirit, the spirit of God that came upon him in his baptism. It was the Holy Spirit that guided him through the wilderness. So Jesus didn't do this on his own. And here's what's really cool. That same power is available to us. We're gonna talk about that in just a moment, but I want you to think about this. At the moment where Jesus's faith was going to be tempted, his father had empowered him with everything he was going to need to stand up under the test. And this is really good news because that same power is available to me and it's available to you. But first I wanna talk about this enemy. Who is he and where, where did he come from? Jesus refers to him as the evil one. Scripture tells us his name is, is Satan. That name just means adversary. He's not a good guy. He's also referred to as the, the accuser. You've probably heard him referred to as the devil, but no matter what title you wanna use to describe him, here's what scripture tells us. He is a powerful created being. He was an angel, but he rebelled against God and his greatest sin was he said, I want to be like the most high. I wanna be like God. And he managed to deceive one third of all the angels and they were thrown out of heaven and cast down to the earth where you and I live. And so they're busy right now trying to deceive us, trying to tempt us away. And here's what you really need to know. Satan and his minions are hell bent on destroying you, on ruining your family, on dragging you away, dragging me, dragging us away from God. And I want you to listen to this warning that the apostle Peter issues. He says, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. If you've ever watched the Discover Channel and you've seen a documentary on lions, they are merciless, aren't they? They stalk their prey. They get somebody separated from the herd and then they pounce. And you know what they do? They choke the life out of their victim. And then when they're dead, they eat what they want and they leave their carcass in the sun for the birds to pick on. And it's really sad when it happens to a gazelle in the savannah, but it's even worse to know that that can happen spiritually to someone. You and I created in the image and the likeness of God. And this is the image that Peter says, be aware, this is what our enemy is like. And so are you starting to understand why Jesus says, when you pray, you pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Jesus had experienced the power of the evil one firsthand. He knew how dangerous he was. And he wanted his followers to be equipped to know how to deal with him. In John 10, Jesus describes Satan's objective this way. He says, he has come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Now, I've heard one pastor describe uh, Satan's, he calls them the killer D's. And he says, it starts with deception. He wants to deceive you. And then he wants to distract you or discourage you or to, to divide you or to discredit you. But ultimately, he is bent on destroying you. None of those are good. And that's his plan. That's what he wants to do to us. And this is why Jesus says, don't just repeat the words of this prayer 
Learn how to apply it to your life. And this is the kind of prayer life that Jesus had with his heavenly father. And this is the reason that his disciples said, please teach us to pray the way that you do. Because when you pray, it's different. Now, I want you to think about this. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, on the night that he was arrested, he knew that there was a mob of angry people that were coming to arrest him unfairly. And he knew it was only going to be worse from there. He had been predicting his death for weeks. He took his disciples on a walk to a garden, a place called the Garden of Gethsemane. He would go there to pray often. And on that particular night, he prayed on three different occasions. Father, please get me out of here. This isn't going to be good. So he prayed, but he also prayed, let your will be done. And then he, did, and then he encouraged his disciples, I need you to do the same. Look at what he says. Now pay close attention to the words in Matthew 28, 41. It says this, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. I found this fascinating this week. It is a direct link back to Matthew 6. Watch and pray so that you won't fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is, pay attention to this word, weak. He's saying, I need you. I am praying you should pray these things. Now, if you were Jesus, wouldn't you be tempted to run and hide? Wouldn't you be tempted to gather up as many friends and as many weapons as you could to protect yourself? I mean, I know I would. And I would like to believe that I would pray the whole time while I was gathering a militia to protect myself. But I want you to think about this. In his moment of greatest physical and spiritual need, in the moment where he knew that his faith in his heavenly father was going to be tested, in, in the moment when he knew that the will of his father was gonna be tested for him, what did he do? He didn't run and pray. He stayed and prayed. He stayed right where he was. And he said, Father, help me not to bail on your mission for me. And so based on his response to his disciples to pray, I think his desire is for all of us to learn to pray this prayer. So what does it look like? What should it look like for us to learn how to pray? Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Well, first of all, when we learn to pray this familiar prayer, I think what we'll find is we need to admit that we're weak and we need God's help. It, it, it naturally flows out of the prayer. God, I'm weak and I, I need your help. I want you to listen to what the writer of Hebrews says. He says, Jesus can empathize with our weaknesses. He was tempted like us in every way. There's no temptation that you and I have experienced that Jesus doesn't understand. The writer of Hebrews tells us that. He has experienced every trouble, every trial, and he never sinned against his heavenly father. So it is possible. So how, how did he do it? Well, we talked about this earlier. He did it by the power of the Holy Spirit. The gospel writers tell us the spirit came upon him when he was baptized. The gospel writers tell us he was led by the spirit into the wilderness. The gospel of Luke tells us he was led out of the wilderness by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was with Jesus everywhere he went. And that same spirit is available to us the moment the moment that we admit I am a sinner and I have broken my relationship with my heavenly father, the moment that you put your trust in Jesus as your savior, your sins are forgiven and you are filled with the spirit. And so just like Jesus, when the spirit of God lives inside of you, you can learn to pray like him and you can pray things like, Father, give me wisdom to discern what is good and what is right. Make me aware of the enemy's traps for me. Give me eyes to see where he is tempting me, to drag me away from you. Holy Spirit, please help me to stand up to the test at hand so that my faith in my heavenly father will be strengthened. 
And so when we learn to pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one, it leads us to, to admit that we're weak, but it also teaches us to appeal to God for the strength that we need. And this is where daily prayer and dependence on God comes in. I get the feeling that Jesus didn't just pray every once in a while. I think he prayed in such a way and so often. In fact, we know that he did. His disciples said, please teach us. Your way is better than ours. It's different than the way that we do it. We saw it in the wilderness. We see it in the garden where he prayed. And so if it's true for Jesus, it needs to be true for us. But there's different ways that you can verbalize this prayer in your own words, okay? You can say the words that Jesus used and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. But you can also learn to pray things like this, Father, don't bring me to a place where Satan will tempt my faith in you. Father, please don't give Satan permission to tempt me. Now you might think, well, would I, do I really need to pray that? Actually, you do. In the book of Job, Satan shows up and says, I want, to, I want that guy right there. And he knew him by name. Not that guy. He said, I want Job. I want a shot at him. And God knew what would happen. He said, oh, he's faithful. Go ahead. Jesus told the apostle Peter, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. I promise you guys, he knows your name. He and his minions, they want a shot at you. And so we need to pray that, that our heavenly father would protect us. But we can also pray, Father, if you do deliver me, if you do allow me to go through those temptations, will you please deliver me with the same strength that you provided your son through the Holy Spirit? Would you help me to know what is good and right based on what your word teaches, not on what culture says, but on what you say is true. And will you please rescue me? Will you strengthen me to stand up under this pressure? Jesus knows our enemy is bent on destroying us. He wants to ruin our lives. And that's not an encouraging thing to know, right? Like when, when you leave here, somebody's like, what did you talk about at church today? Oh, there's an enemy that wants to destroy me. Isn't that great? Fantastic. Well, I want you to listen to how James started his letter in the New Testament. This is how he begins. He says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. The writer of Hebrews says this, for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the pain of the cross because he knew it would be worth it. Think about that. For the joy of being nailed to a tree and dying for the sins of the world in the most painful way possible, in the most embarrassing way imaginable, for, that, for, that, for the joy beyond that, Jesus endured it all. And if it's true for Jesus, it's, it's got to be true for us too. It's kind of like working out. Nobody enjoys working out, but we know the benefits, right? And the same is true when it comes to praying this prayer. It's not that it's easy. It's not even that it's simple. It's just that it's necessary. So learning to pray this prayer will lead us to admit that we're weak. It'll teach us to appeal to God for strength, and it'll also help us to acknowledge and avoid the temptations in our lives. Has 2020 been a weird year for you? Has it been different than any other year in the past? I mean, some of us might say it's been the worst year ever. And, and maybe rightfully so. It's been hard. Have you felt like you're in the wilderness? It'd be easy to feel like you're stuck out in the wilderness right now. And that's exactly where your enemy wants you to be. He doesn't want you to be aware that he's drawing you away from your heavenly father. He wants you to think that you are alone, 
that no one else is struggling the way that you are. He doesn't want you to be with people. And he wants to crush you. But when we pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one, we can ask our Father, give me eyes to see the minefield that I'm walking through. Help me not to step in places that I don't need to step. I want you to listen to how the Apostle Paul sums this up. In in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, he says, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted... He will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Some translations say he will provide a way so you can stand up underneath it. I just picture this like standing under God's shield. He will provide a shield for you. He did it for Jesus and he will do it for us. Now, a lot of times we read this passage and we think Paul is saying, look, just get better at sinning less. And yeah, sin is the issue. But actually, if you read 1 Corinthians 10, he's talking about the sin of idolatry. And idolatry is worshiping anything that is not God. And if you're like me, you would say, well, I don't. I would never, but I think we do more than we realize we do, especially if you feel like you're in the wilderness. Are you ever tempted to worship your comforts and your conveniences or your health or your children, your career or the money that you make, the company that you keep, a political party, a political leader, your favorite sports team, the car you drive, the house you live in, the clothes you wear, the likes you get on social media. If you find joy in any of those things, it's not that those things are bad, but if you're looking to those things to provide for you, it's a form of idolatry. We gotta know how to enjoy them while enjoying God more. And Satan would love for us to find all of our meaning in those things because he wants to deaden the part of us that draws near to God. So how do we avoid this trap? Well, James talks about it. And again, it's not that it's easy, okay? It's not even that it's simple. But this is what he says. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. This word submit, anybody like that word? It's not a popular one. But when you submit to God, you admit you're my heavenly father. You know things better than I do. You know what's good for me. So would you help me to obey you? Because you're a good, loving dad. Resist. This is the, like, we don't want to resist our temptations, right? We want to give in to them. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Now leave this slide up. I I was thinking about this earlier. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. It's right there. Lead us not. Help us to submit to you. Deliver us from the evil one. Help us to resist his temptations. And so as we wrap up today, I want to give you a moment to pray and to seriously take some time to think about the temptations that he is laying out in front of you to draw you away from a meaningful relationship with your heavenly father. So I want to give you permission. I know this is always weird. I want you to close your eyes if you feel comfortable. And I'm just going to give you some prayer prompts and I want you to think about the temptations in life. So when you pray, lead us not into temptation, what are some of the temptations that Satan wants to throw out in front of you? It probably doesn't take you too long to identify them, does it? Are you tempted to be prideful and put yourself ahead of everyone else? Are you ever tempted to be a dictator at home and to demand your way? 
Are you tempted to neglect your family because you love your career a little bit more? Maybe a lot more. Have you ever been tempted to sacrifice your integrity at work by cutting corners or cutting throats so that you can get ahead and look better than everybody else? Have you ever been tempted to envy what someone else has, their spouse, their kids, their car, their house, their life? Are you tempted to be greedy and to hoard up the things that you know that you should share? Are you tempted to neglect your spouse and to chase after the counterfeit fulfillment that comes through something like pornography? Are you tempted to allow your anger to overwhelm your ability to make good decisions, to run your, rea your reactions and, and your reactions to people? Are you tempted to feed an addiction that you know it's killing you? It's ruining your health, it's poisoning your heart, it's ruining your relationships, and you don't know what to do with it. What is the temptation? Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these words. They are clear. We can see how they apply all throughout Scripture. So would you help us? Would you bring this familiar prayer to life? Help us to not walk out of here knowing more about temptation. Help us to know how to resist temptation. Make us aware of the enemy and help us not to be afraid of him. Perfect love casts out fear. Your perfect love lives inside of us. So we don't need to fear him. We just need to love you, to obey you. Would you make us aware of the temptations and would you help us today to decide I am going to repent. I am going to turn away from those things. Would you help us to confess to someone that we trust where we're being tempted away from you and ask them to hold us accountable. Let's make it real. And would you deliver us from the power of the evil one? Would you help us to stand up under the test so that our faith can be proven to be true and genuine? We sang a song earlier about you returning Jesus. We wanna be at your side and that happens through faith in you. But when that happens, we wanna know he gave me all the strength that I needed and help us to tap into it. So as we, as we sign off today, as we leave this place, would you bring this prayer to life? Would you help us to walk with you as faithful children, to call out to you as our heavenly father, to rely on you daily and help us to walk in victory. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for your incredible example that in your humility, you relied on the Holy Spirit to remain faithful to your Father. Would you help us to do the same? It is in your powerful and your mighty and your good and your loving and your kind, your eternal name that we pray. Amen. I realize this is a pretty heavy message, isn't it? It's pretty heavy writing it this week. But it's true. I think it's what we need to hear. So as we leave today, Feel free to linger and, and, and hang out and enjoy one another. But don't forget to pray this prayer. And don't just pray the words. Pray it over the people that you love. Pray it at work, pray it at home, pray it everywhere you go. 
because there is an enemy that wants to destroy us, but there is a God that created him and he will destroy him. We just need to be found faithful. Have a great day. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you soon.